0: is ready to rock today, Fire Nation. JLD are coming at you with a special audio masterclass because we are going to be talking about thirst in water. The specific audio masterclass title is Thirst, How a Former Nightclub Promoters Desire to Do More, led to the ultimate career change. And we are going to be talking with Scott Harrison, who's the founder of Charity Water. It's a nonprofit organization that brings clean and safe drinking water to people in developing countries. It is an incredible organization. It is an important organization. And today's Masterclass Fire Nation is not to be missed. So stick around. We'll be right there when we thank our sponsor it's not always easy finding a commerce platform that will be a reliable partner when it comes to selling your products. Great thing for you and me, they're Shopify. For a limited time only, visit shopify.com slash EOF and start your 28 day free trial today. That's shopify.com slash EOF. So Scott, say what's up to Fire Nation and share something interesting about yourself that most people don't know.
1: Dude, what is up? It's so great to, to be back. Thanks for, for having me back on. Um, oh gosh, what don't people know? Uh, I'm, I guess I'm going to go back to kind of first jobs. McDonald's, I worked at the drive through in Flemington, New Jersey at the McDonald's. Uh, had another job selling keyboards in New York City at a place called Sam Ash. And one of the most notable parts of that job for me was one night, Stevie Wonder came in and I got to sell him $50,000 worth of keyboard and synthesizer gear and make a commission, make a little commission because he got a pretty good deal on it.
0: (laughs) Oh man, that is something I definitely did not know about you. Quick question, favorite item on the McDonald's menu, go.
1: Back then, it was all Quarter Pounder with cheeses and those apple pies. Oh, the I mean, apple I pies. Would, I would eat. They, they was the ones with the, you know, they had like the slits in them. Totally. I don't know if they still do them anymore, but they were crusty. They were like, I could eat three or four of those things.
0: Uh, <laughs> I remember getting those with a uh, sundae and just using the ice cream and the apple, one bite for one bite. It was just incredible. And they
1: would burn you. They came out
0: hot. Like, they could literally burn the roof of your <laughs> mouth, those things. I think they actually got sued by a couple of people for that very reason, literally. <laughs> well, Fire Nation, we're talking with Scott Harrison, as I mentioned, of course, in the amazing intro I gave for him. He is the founder of Charity Water, and his book, Thirst, has recently just been tearing up the bookshelves all around. And we're going to be talking today, during this audio masterclass, about how a former Nike club promoter's desire to do more led to the ultimate career change. Because Scott, let's break it down. (laughs) In 2018, you are hardly the typical philanthropist. I mean, that's just a fact. You spent 10 years as a hard partying New York City club promoter before you started Charity Water with no money, by the way, no experience, by the way. You had no experience in nonprofits. Now, Charity Water has gone on to become one of the most widely admired brands in the nonprofit world. So your story is incredible. We touched upon it in the last episode. But what I want you to do right now is just take us to the moment you decided to change your life around.
1: Yeah. So there was a moment. I'm 28 years old and I'm I've worked at 40 different nightclubs over the last 10 years. Uh, My life looks great on the outside. So I'm wearing the Rolex watch. I'm driving the BMW. uh, I'm dating the girl on the covers of fashion magazines. I've got the grand piano in my New York City apartment. I've got the Labrador Retriever, right? All these things that were supposed to make me happy. They were supposed to make me deeply fulfilled. And I realized on a, on a vacation in South America, on this, the separation, you know, if you will, from my, my nightlife life uh, for a couple of weeks, I, I realized that I've somehow become the worst person that I know. I've become the most hedonistic, selfish sycophantic, maybe even degenerate person, because I've been only pursuing me. It was a pursuit of me for 10 years. And I realized, I had this moment of clarity, that there would never be enough. Somebody would always, you know, have more. There would never be enough girls. There'd never be enough parties. There'd never be enough money. There'd never be enough status. And that uh, that that I was leaving, perhaps, the most meaningless legacy that a person could live. Now, you know, for all that to make sense, you kind of have to go back to childhood. I was brought up uh, a really good Christian kid, playing the piano in church on Sundays, taking care of a very sick mom. I was an only child thrust into a caregiver role. So my foundation was really one of virtue and morality. I had cold rebelled against that. I'd given. The church and my family had given everybody the finger for 10 years. And then I have this moment where I really, I want to come full circle. I want to come home. Uh, I realized that what I had done just didn't work. It left me empty. It left me morally bankrupt. It left me spiritually bankrupt. And I decided in South America that I was going to come back and I needed to make a change. And I asked myself, what might the opposite of my life look like? very simple question. What would not a pivot, not like a little change, you know, 25 or 45 degree change, what would 180 degree opposite look like? And it took me about six months to, to find that. But six months later, I wound up selling almost everything that I owned and applying to do one year of humanitarian volunteer service to the famous aid organizations I'd heard of o- over time and at first nobody would take me and then finally one took me and and that took me very quickly from this life of disco balls and and you know $500 bottles of champagne and bottle service took me to war-torn Liberia in West Africa on this humanitarian medical mission as a volunteer photojournalist in a country with no electricity and no running water, a country where there was one doctor for every 50,000 people that live there. And my life changed. I mean, I, I my heart broke. I, I put in a different context Put in a context of people who were using their gifts in service of others, in the unselfish pursuit of others, I said, I got to have this. This is the meaning. This is the purpose that I've been looking for.
0: I mean, one thing that really blows me away watching your journey, you know, looking back to the past interview that we did, is just how little we as just humans, and I guess we should even kind of maybe more specifically say like First World, like Americans know about the lack of water that people are dealing with right now. In fact, one in 10 people, that's twice the population of the United States Fire Nation. They live without access to clean water. I mean, this is something that is a mandatory necessity that we get on a day-to-day basis. And one in 10 people, I mean, that's nuts.
1: It's true, right? In an age of technology, in an age of internet balloons, right? And self-driving cars and the boring company and, you know, an age of flamethrowers, right? Like we, we have so much, we're, we're so innovative, we're inventing so much, but yet one out of 10 people alive on the planet is drinking dirty, disgusting water today that risks their life. Uh, you know and, and and it it does feel like a disconnect and especially you know because we travel back and forth and we see this um and that's what we've been you know we've been working hard to try and uh, fix for for what 12 years now
0: i mean you had me a flamethrower by the <laughs> way so i mean fire nation just recognize the importance of just knowledge, what knowledge can bring. Now that you know that, by the way, Fire Nation, you can't unknow that. Like when you've seen people who don't have access to running water, when you see people that don't have access to electricity or doctors, I mean, you can't unsee this. I mean, I've spent four months in Guatemala, five months in India, I spent 13 months in Iraq. I mean, I've been to these places and I have seen that and you just don't unsee this. And of course, I saw what happened to Puerto Rico because I live here after Hurricane Maria and just what people were dealing with going from one day, you know, being a semi first world country, being in American territory to like all of a sudden being thrown back literally to the dark ages, literally overnight. And what's scary, and Scott, this is something that I actually wouldn't mind going on a little side tangent with you on right now is, how creepily close we all are to this. I mean, we are just three or four days uh, away from some major catastrophe of being thrown into those dark ages. Again, I lived that in Puerto Rico um, after Hurricane Maria. I mean, talk about where like, even a first world country like the United States could be so quickly because you've been to those places like the libraries of the world where you've seen all of that jazz.
1: I think the water shortages here you know around us have certainly helped elevate uh, the conversation around water and and certainly Flint, Michigan, you know while that was an issue uh, that was political, it was an issue of of really sending water down the right the wrong pipes. Um, and and contaminating lots of water for for a whole city in an area, um, the, the droughts maybe in California where people you know go on water rations. Um, even Cape Town, you know a lot of people were talking about this day zero in Cape Town, when Cape Town, the city would run out of water and all the things that people were trying to do to prolong day zero. So I think, you know, look, we we have realized how precious this resource is and that even wealthy countries or wealthy cities are not immune to it. Um, I, I guess what I would say is that, you know, Cape Town did figure that out and it wound up raining. And, you know, Flint is in the the process now of ripping up those pipes and putting in new pipes and, you know, the California droughts. It's never really people going without bathing themselves or, or drinking clean water. And that's actually what we're seeing. So if I just take you into our world just for a minute. You know it's one thing to say 663 million people are drinking dirty water and and we just kind of numb out. You hear a statistic that big. It's just, you know, twice the population of the country. Okay, 1 in 10, okay. But there's no feeling behind that. And, and what we've tried to do is tell the stories of the humans, the actual women and the children that are caught In this huge number and what it looks like if you, if you were to travel with me, you know, I've been to Ethiopia 30 separate times now and, and, and I'm in, I'm in villages where women are walking six hours every day, not five days a week, seven days a week. So imagine 42 hours of your week spent walking to a faraway swamp or pond or river, sometimes even farther during the peak of the dry season. And then you're hauling back 40 pounds of water with leeches in it, water with horse manure in it or cow feces. And then you're giving that water that you know is actually not clean and you're giving that to your children. And you know we hear shocking stories, John, of, of women being attacked by hyenas uh, by wild animals, often raped on their way uh, to the water holes. Women giving birth down at the disgusting swamp because they need the water during that process. Um, it, it's it, it's it's an unbelievable hardship. I mean, in, in the book, you know, I talk about the, this this village I lived in where a thirteen year old girl hung herself after spilling her water one day. She she'd been walking eight hours. At the end of her trip, she 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 slips. She slips and falls. She breaks the clay pot that she'd been carrying the water in. And she watches this water, this precious resource, spill into the dust and get dissolved. And she just ties a rope around her neck and jumps from a tree and not wanting to go back for more water. So it's it's a huge emergency, this issue. And and it faces so many people. But yet, you know, officially, America has 100% water coverage. And and I I dare say, you know, they're they're probably – isn't anyone listening that has experienced that kind of hardship around water? You know, maybe you've been in a drought area, but you know, I doubt people have have held a loved one in their arms, watching a loved one die of diarrhea that completely preventable uh, if there was clean water nearby.
0: And those statistics that you throw out, you threw out there in the comment you made behind it is so true. I mean, we can say like six hundred and sixty-three million, or one in ten, but you know, until you're there and you see it, Fire Nation, like, it's just, it's, it's hard to really comprehend this. And there's a quote by Stalin that actually kind of jumped in my mind when you are talking about that, Scott, which is, the death of one person is a tragedy. The death of one million is a statistic. And like, that's what people like Stalin and Hitler did to kind of be able to push under the rug all of what was happening. Because like, one person's a tragedy. If you see one person dying of diarrhea and of thirst, that is an absolute tragedy when you're hearing on this podcast right now that 663 million people don't have access to clean water, is that really being able to be comprehended by, you know, our ears and our brain? Like, it's it's a question. And so, it's something to definitely think about. But one thing that I do want to dive into next, Scott, because this is so important. We hear a lot of people in today's age be like, oh, I would donate more money. But like, you know, so-and-so, you know, all these nonprofits, like they have CEOs and founders that make like six and seven figure salaries. Like, where's that money going? I I don't want to pay for somebody's yacht or vacation, but- Charity Water gives one hundred percent of all public donations to fund water projects. I mean, that is unheard of. Period. How is that possible?
1: So, if I rewind to to the founding kind of principles, um, I had I, I had come back from two years in West Africa as this volunteer photojournalist, and I my my heart was changed. I had seen many issues. I'd seen people with flesh-eating disease. I'd I'd spent time in leprosy colonies. I was with doctors who were working on cleft lips and cleft palates. But the one thing that kind of stuck with me was the fact that people were drinking dirty water. And I think that was especially relevant to me because in my clubs, I used to sell Voss water for $10 a bottle. And some people wouldn't even open the water. They would just order a bunch of bottles on their table and just let it sit there and go drink champagne and vodka instead. And You know, when I I had the advantage of being 30, having a clear mission, my mission was going to be to work to bring clean drinking water to every single human being alive on the planet. Mm. And at the time, there were actually a billion without water. It's come down to 663 million over the last 12 years. So progress has been made. But a billion people, right? So I have this mission, and I'm telling my friends who are 30 and and they're working at MTV or I don't know Goldman Sachs or Chanel or Gucci, just people in the workforce, and I realized they were cynical, they were skeptical, they were not giving to the big charities maybe that you hear about on TV and some of the things that you mentioned, oh, ah, CEOs making millions and millions of dollars and. Hiring their cousins and nephews and, you know, husbands and wives to work at their charity. Or I don't know where my money goes. How much is actually going to reach the people in the end? Everybody seemed to have a scandal that they could pull out of their back pocket showing why they weren't giving, why a charity had disqualified itself. Maybe sitting on billions of dollars after a natural disaster that it just couldn't spend. You know, and 10 years later, it comes out well that all those $50 donations we all texted in are just still sitting in some bank account. Yeah. So everybody had issue. The, the data behind this was shocking. 42% of Americans, I think it was, it was pulled by USA Today, said they actually don't trust charities. And 70% of Americans that were pulled by New York University Stern uh, actually said they believed, 70%, John, believed that charities wasted their money. Or badly wasted their money. Ugh. So 30% of people thought charities did the right thing with money, but that's all that charities are supposed to do is to, is to do the right thing with people's money. So I realized this was a huge new market opportunity. This was a an industry that was ripe for disruption, for a new mental model, a new business model, a new way of doing things. And you know, I thought the most powerful thing we could do would be to answer the objection around money in the clearest way possible and say 100% of all donations will always go directly to build water projects that give people clean water and we open up a second separate bank account where we would raise all the overhead all the salaries all the office rent costs and the phone bills and the Epson copier machine, the flights, all that stuff separately from a very small group of business leaders and thought leaders who wouldn't mind paying those unsexy overhead costs. So we had these two bank accounts. They would have separate numbers. They would be audited separately. And we could go to say to people, okay, what's your next objection? Because we just told you, you're not paying my salary. You're not paying anybody's salary. You're not paying rent. Every penny you get, even if you could only give one dollar, that full dollar is going. If you could give a million dollars, that full million dollars is going to go and have an impact. So the second thing was we'd created effectively two bank accounts that were separate, a non-fungible business model. We said, let's just tell people what we did with their money, where their money went, the people that it impacted. And for us, we just started by putting the satellite images of each of these water projects up for people to see. And this seems so basic, but but charities just weren't great at closing the loop. You know, often you give money to a charity and they send you a thank you note or a tax receipt and they just keep asking you for more money. And we said, we have a responsibility to show people the impact of their donations. And then the third very basic idea, the third pillar was just working with local partners in each of these countries. We believed it shouldn't be Westerners like me flying in to go drill wells in Kenya or Malawi. For this work to be culturally appropriate, for it to be sustainable, it had to be led by the people in each of these countries. And, and we just put these three things together. Let's give away 100%. Let's build the most hyper-transparent charity ever by proving where the money goes and, and the impact of those donations. And then let's work with the locals. And again, you know, people listening to that are like, that's not that innovative. <laughs> it, it doesn't sound like it should be that innovative but it just was at the time and it led to this explosive growth pattern just just because it felt different it didn't feel like your parents' or your grandparents' charity.
0: Fire Nation, this is not your parents' or your grandparents' charity. And in fact, as soon as we get back from our break, you're going to hear Scott talk about some really cool things that they're doing that are continuing to bring charity water and just, or keeping it cutting edge and bringing new incentives and new awesome things that are coming down the line. So stick around. We'll be right back when we thank our sponsor. If you've ever thought about creating and selling something, and my guess is you have, then you know it's not easy. Once you have your big idea, the real work begins. The many moving pieces, the roadblocks that slow us down, and the failures that test our determination and drive, they're all part of the journey. When I came up with the idea to create the Freedom Journal, I had no idea how many moving pieces would be involved. It was my very first physical product, and throughout the process of developing and creating the journal, I realized quickly that there was a high barrier in the physical product space. It wasn't just about creating the physical journal itself, but also figuring out what happens once it's created. After a lot of research and stumbling around, I found Shopify, the online commerce platform that we use here at Entrepreneurs On Fire to bring all three of our journals to the world. What's great about Shopify is you don't have to be techie. The platform provides templates and makes it super easy for you to set up your store quickly. That means you get to start offering your products to your customers sooner. They also have the Shopify Academy, which offers free trading to help you get started. Plus, with a their- award-winning 24-7 support you'll never feel alone on your entrepreneurial journey if you're looking for a true partner to get your business up and running so you can easily manage your online store and share your products with the world then look no further than shopify visit shopify.com eof to start your 28-day free trial today this offer is only available until february 28th 2019 so don't wait that's shopify.com slash eof so Scott, we're back and something cool that you've done fairly recently, definitely since the last time that we talked on the show, was you started a monthly giving community called The Spring. Talk a little bit about The Spring, like where'd the idea come from and how's that working out?
1: The idea really came out of necessity, out of our first down year we had eight years of consecutive growth. And and these were, we'd raised about a quarter of a billion dollars in our first eight years. And then we had this year where we could not repeat the previous year's fundraising success. And it felt terrible. John, we went from getting a million new people, clean drinking water in our eighth year to then 820,000 people in our ninth year. And I I actually felt like I'd let 180,000 people down personally. And, you know, I had this existential leadership crisis. I, I talk about this extensively in the book, just in the hopes that it might encourage other people who felt like they failed because they couldn't grow the thing anymore. And I, I try and bring on a professional CEO and I wind up, you know, almost quitting uh, to, to move aside to let somebody else come, you know, a, a real leader, take us to the next level. And I wind up just taking a month off to think about things and, and spend some time with my family. And after that month, I just said, well, hey, I can't quit in year 10. Like, I got to finish out the decade strong. And rather than whining about this problem, why don't I actually try and address it? Why don't I try and solve it? Why don't I try and innovate? And it, it wasn't a really difficult realization. We had just gotten too big to start at zero every year. To raise $45 million in a single year and then have January 1 see the ticker roll back to zero and have to climb that $45 million donation hill again and then grow. It was just, it was unsustainable. We were building an organization based on one-time gifts, one-time fundraising campaigns like the birthdays that some people know us for. And I said, Well, you know, if I look around at the companies that I respect, that I think are crushing it, they're not starting at zero. Like Netflix does not start at zero, January one, Spotify doesn't start at zero, Dropbox doesn't start at zero. They're building communities of people who are showing up month in and month out for their services. And they're getting a value exchange through that. So I said, well, you know, what if we could build a community of givers so generous the world has never seen anything like this before and create a a pure giving experience where 100% of what people gave every single month would directly get passed on to people who needed clean water. we said, we're gonna be so crazy about the integrity of this 100%, we're gonna pay back credit card fees. So if somebody was given, you know, a hundred bucks a month, let's say, and we got 97 because they gave it on their Amex, we would make up that difference. We would send the full intended donation every single month. And then we would show impact. We would tell stories of the people whose lives were being changed around the world with clean water as people showed up giving what they could every month. So we weren't sure if this was going to work. We called it the spring. Um, I love double entendres, as you can tell by the title of the book, <laughs> Thirst. Um, you know, it, it's, a, it's a time of new beginnings. And it's actually the literal place where so much clean water comes uh, on the planet from, from springs. And uh, we, we just put this out. We just told the story. And we actually made a 20-minute web video. Again, everybody said you guys are crazy. The attention span these days is, you know, thirty <laughs> seconds at best. You're gonna do it. Tw- I'm like, I can't convey, I can't convey any emotion, any sense of story or narrative in thirty seconds. Right, it's gonna take me at least twenty minutes to tell the charity water story, to tell the story of water and, and our business model. And uh, you know, we we put out this 20, million, 20 minute video, and it just it all works. People said. I moved. They watched it. I think uh, 18% of the people that finished the film actually joined the spring. I mean, we saw extraordinary conversions and it, it quickly grew to people in 100 countries around the world. The beauty of the internet is this thing just got passed around and the film got over 12 million views and uh, the, the community excuse me, has just kept growing uh, and growing and growing. And uh, it, it's transformed the organization. So I didn't quit. Uh, we grew 40% last year. We've been up 40% this year. We're going to get 1.5 million people wow. clean water this year. For the first time, we're going to cross, uh, at the beginning of next year, we're going to cross over 10 million people served. And that that's not thanks to me. It's not thanks to our team. It's really thanks to the Charity Water community out there, everyday people, You know, people just like the ones that are listening now, who said, well, never really thought about water before, but rather than embrace the paralyzing apathy, you know, with a, a huge global issue like this, I could do something. I could give 30 bucks a month or 10 bucks a month or, you know, or, or whatever they could give. And, and we've seen people embrace action instead of apathy. And this thing just continued to grow, which allows us to impact more people. So it was, it was really this transformative moment. And, I remember later Googling business S curves and just realizing we were we needed to find that next growth idea. You know, what got us here wouldn't get us to the next level. And it's been really exciting to now put our time and our resources into the spring community. And and we still don't think we're killing it. We we still think there's a greater opportunity to connect our members with each other. Um, you know, I should connect you to the members in, in Puerto Rico, you know, and, and it'd be cool if like the 19 of you got together and shared charity water stories or talked about water. Um, we just did an event recently in Atlanta where over 100 people that were giving every month just turned up and got to meet each other. So I think there's a lot of opportunity for us to grow the community and then both steward our relationship with these people. I don't have content I can deliver like Netflix, okay? I don't have storage I can offer like Dropbox, but hopefully we can offer inspiration and this the sense that your money really did matter, that as it moved from sitting latent in your bank account in this accumulation process, and it was released to help other people around the world, it really did matter. It really did end needless suffering. And and you were a part of that by taking action.
0: Fire Nation, I love that phrase that Scott used embrace action over empathy. And you actually just kind of struck a little bit of a chord right there too, Scott, at the very end when you were talking about, you know, are we just sitting here, Fire Nation, in an accumulation phase? I mean, are we just like sitting here hoarding our dollars and our cents for what? For for some future where we can, you know, then maybe leave an estate, you know, to our kids that then gets cut in half right off the bat and then it just gets whittled down even more? Or can we today right now utilize some of that hoard, you know, some of those um, dollars and cents that are doing nothing right now and unlock awesomeness and clean water and amazingness around the world. And if you want to learn more about Spring Fire Nation, you can do a lot of things, but of course, just Googling the Spring Charity Water is going to get you right there. And I want to just kind of double down on what Scott said. You know, when he was in that tough situation as an entrepreneur, as the CEO, He looked around at businesses that he admired. What were they doing to succeed? Like a Netflix, like a Spotify, like a Dropbox. What were they doing? He applied their principles to his business, and that's where the spring came from. It's a great lesson for you to learn. And and Scott, something that you should be rightfully so very proud of is your first book, Thirst. Why did you write this book now, and what is your hope for it?
1: Oh, man. I mean, first of all, you know, Years ago, it was not time to write a book because we were just trying to build this thing. I mean, we were in survival mode. I I think as early as year three or four of Charity Water, people would say, oh, crazy story. You know, drug addict, nightclub promoter becomes, I I don't know, water warrior or whatever. You know, And they, they were looking for the headline. Like, you should write a book. I'm like, man, I don't know that this thing is even... Going to exist three months from now, you know? I mean, if by the time I started writing and ended writing, like there might not even be any Charity Water. So I think there was something about turning 40, the organization celebrating its 10th anniversary in a period of, of really exciting, explosive growth now as we move into the next decade, becoming a father uh, to two kids, really just saying, you know what, uh, now maybe at this, this moment in time, maybe there are parts of my story, maybe there are parts of what Charity Water has learned that could actually Help others. Maybe uh, on a personal level, just there might be some people who feel like they are stuck, or the the things that they've done in their past, the things that they're not proud of, define their future. And you know, I would hope to be living proof. Like if a disgusting, you know, gambling, pornography addicted, you know, cocaine-addled nightclub promoter can raise a third of a billion dollars for clean drinking water. You know, chances are, like, unless you've killed someone, you're not as bad as me. I mean, and I really wanted that to kind of come out in the book. And that by, you know, by changing the intention of my life, by by rediscovering faith and virtue and, and spirituality and and a life of service, I was really able to start over. You know, I got a clean slate, and what was cool is that so many of the things that I had used for darkness, I was able to redeem and use for good. You know, Charity Waters, day one, happened in a nightclub. We launched Charity Water in a nightclub, and 700 people came to a party. They got open bar for an hour, and what was different about this is, on their way in, they donated $20, and we raised $15,000, and we took 100% of the money to do our first few projects. And then we sent them the photos and the GPS coordinates and video of the clean water flowing in a refugee camp in Uganda and said, you did this. So I was able to take some of the things, you know, I would have just gotten those people wasted and walked away with 15 grand in my pocket. You know, that's how we would have done it in the past. So, you know, I think that hopefully some of the elements of my personal story might just inspire people to, to turn the page, you know, to realize what is possible, to think how they might redeem some of their past mistakes and use them for good. And then, you know, I, I donated the advance of the book. I donated all the proceeds. I want this book to actually help end the water crisis. I believe in a, in creating and working together to realize a day on this planet when every human being has this basic need for life, for health, uh, for survival met, where everybody has clean drinking water. And I would hope in some of the stories in the book, it would move people, not just the statistics, but the the stories would move people to act and to join this community and and be able to say one day to their kids or their grandkids like I stood for clean water and I did what I could to be a part of this and we've achieved it we've finally got there
0: so scott we are an entrepreneurial podcast fire nation are entrepreneurs small business owners and in this book you cover a lot of entrepreneurial themes, actually. You cover burnout, you cover leadership, the importance of branding. There's so many different things. So with everything that you said right now, I know we're going to get a ton out of reading the book Thirst because of the very obvious reasons we've talked about so far. But can you maybe pull out one of those things that I shared or you know, something that's an entrepreneurial theme like that burnout, like that leadership that you think our listeners could really relate to in their business?
1: You know, there's a story in the book um, that I talk about where we ran out of money at Charity Water. Uh, maybe there are people listening saying, hey, um, how actually do you fund that other bank account? How do you take a salary? Uh, we have 80 full-time employees in New York now. How do they wow. get paid? And it was incredibly different, f- difficult finding those visionary donors who wanted to pay for the overhead. And about a year and a half into the organization, we'd raise millions. We had $881,000 in the water bank account the bank account that we could not touch to run the organization and we had a couple weeks left of payroll in the other bank account and and i had tapped everybody i knew for overhead we had been skipping our own checks you know making very little money at the time and the advice i was getting at the time was hey go and borrow from the 881 grand that's nine months of burn that's nine months of OpEx cash and you know, hey guys, money's fungible, right? You'll pay it back later. Write a little IOU to that account. And I remember just saying, I would never want to run a charity that borrowed one penny, that that even compromised in the tiniest bit on that public promise. You know, if we took one penny from the 881 grand that we promised the public was going to water projects, there'd be a crack in the foundation. You know, we we would be compromised forever. We should resign in shame and and never talk about the thing again. So I was just going to shut Charity Water down, say, cry business model failure, and say, hey, it didn't work. Um, I couldn't find the people on the other side, but I would send out the 881 grand and do as many water projects as possible with that as promised. And, you know, at that moment, I was, I, I'm a person of faith, so I was praying, you know, for a miracle with very little faith, if I'm honest. But I was, I was just determined not to compromise our integrity. Like if I was going to go bankrupt with Charity Water and it wasn't going to work, at least I would have that. At least I would I'd be able to say, but we did what we said we were going to do. And, you know, wouldn't you know, at that moment, you know, a week later, right on the brink of shutting down, a complete stranger, a young entrepreneur uh, who had just had a successful exit, walks into the New York City office, sits with me for two hours, Here's what we're doing. Learns about the vision, learns about the current situation of the organization and says, "Hey, let me think about how I might be able to help you." And 2 days later, sends me an email saying, "Hey, I wired a million dollars into your overhead account." Wow. And that decision I think was really rewarded and that was, you know, that was over 330 million dollars ago raised and, and that, that gave us another year to work out the business model. We needed we needed time. As an entrepreneur I also needed someone to believe in me to say you're not crazy trying to reinvent charity or reimagine the way people experience giving. You need more time you need people to believe in you and you need more people to come alongside and today you know if someone joins the spring the way that we're able to give away 100% the way that we're able to uh, even give away all the proceeds from the book is that 131 business leaders and entrepreneurs and families pay for all the overhead. And it's been the founders of Twitter, Facebook, Spotify, WordPress, Pandora, senior execs at Apple, um, amazing group of people that have said, we got your back so that people can have this pure giving experience. But you know, it was, it, it would have been easy, I guess, to compromise. And I think we would have had a very different outcome.
0: Fire Nation, think about this. What do you stand for in your business? Like, what is your non-negotiable, like Scott's non-negotiable, that he was not going to, even in the little tiny bit least, go beyond that line, which he knew that once he crossed, it was going to put that crack in that foundation. It is so critical as entrepreneurs, as business owners, as leaders of our own enterprises, that we have those non-negotiables too. So, Scott, break it down for us. How can Fire Nation get involved? What is your main call? To action today,
1: it's, it's two things. Grab the book. Um, it, it's again. It, it's. it's I, I hope people will love it. Um, it's not a charity story. It, you know, it starts in a really unlikely place. There's drugs. There's guns. There's you know post-war Liberia. There's some some stories that I think you know will, will make people weep, and, and hopefully stories that will make people you know their hearts leap out with with joy and. and stories of courage and heroism in the book. So yeah, I would encourage people to get it, to understand more about uh, the issue, hopefully just be inspired by it. And then please join the spring. That's actually the call at the end of, of, of the book is a really generous call for people to find um, the thing that is not right on their watch. You know, maybe it's, for some it's it's sex trafficking, maybe for others it's it's hunger around the world or domestic issues or uh, or shelter issues. But it's really a call to, to also join what we might consider joining what we're doing, join the spring, um, give what you might be able to, and join this community of people who, who just believe something very simple. The great thing is, I bet there is no one listening that thinks people should be dying with bad water so it's actually something that everybody agrees to agree on especially in such a toxic divisive uh over politicized time right everybody whether you're you know republican or a democrat or an independent or a christian or a jew or a muslim or an atheist everybody can come together and say people need clean water it's that simple and we know how to solve this problem. The solutions are there. It's the will, it's the resources that haven't yet been mobilized uh, to have this, this impact that we wanna have. So yeah, we, you're invited. You are invited to, to join us. You know, we're, we've been here for 12 years. We're continuing to fight uh, to realize this day when everybody has clean drinking water.
0: Fire Nation, unlock some of those dollars and cents that are literally just right now collecting 0.01% interest and that can just unlock clean water for people around the world. This has inspired me as it always does when I get to chat with, with Scott and other people that are doing great things around the world just like him. And I hope it's inspired you and like he mentioned, get involved by getting this book thirstbook.com is a direct URL you can go to thirstbook.com 100% of the author's net, pro, net proceeds is going to go to fund the charity water projects and of course the spring is a great place to get involved as well so I just want to say Fire Nation you know this because you're the average of the five people you spend the most time with and you've been hanging out with Scott for the last 45 minutes here so you know your average is pretty awesome today so keep up that heat And Scott, I just want to thank you, brother, for sharing your truth with Fire Nation today. For that, we salute you and we'll catch you on the flip side.
1: Thanks so much for having me. You guys are awesome.
0: Hey, Fire Nation. Hope you enjoyed those value bombs from Scott today. Just inspiring on so many levels. Now, quick question. Are you ready to discover what that big idea is in just an hour or less? You can with my incredible system. Head over to yourbigidea.io and you can take the training. It's completely free. yourbigidea.io. I'll catch you there or I'll catch you on the flip side. Looking for a commerce platform that will be a reliable partner when it comes to selling your products? Look no further than Shopify. With easy-to-use templates to help you set up your store fast, over 100 international payment gateway integrations, award-winning 24-7 support, and third-party shipment apps, you'll be sharing your products with the world in no time. For a limited time only, visit shopify.com E-O-F and start your 28-day free trial today. That's shopify.com slash H-E-O-F.